0: You are listening to an Elam Christian Centre podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged and empowered by the message you are about to hear. All right, well, we're continuing. We're in part two of our series that we're calling Unnamed. We're looking at uh, the extraordinary ways that God, is, God has used ordinary people And because there's nothing quite like being recognised. Am I right? Like it feels real good inside, doesn't it? When someone gives you the credit you deserve for something that you've done, the accolade, that the recognition for something that we have done, the truth is, it can actually be real easy to look around us and come to the conclusion that uh, recognition equals significance, that acknowledgement equals importance. And in the same way, it's really easy to think that if we're not recognized, we're not named, we're not acknowledged, that that must mean that we're not important. In fact, it's really easy to look at the Bible and to see all of those named heroes, those heroes of the faith, those ones that we would imagine to be in the great cloud of witnesses, you know, the Moses and the Noah and and the David and the Joshua and the Calebs and all of those types of names, the ones that we see are written all throughout the stories in the Bible, but there are some people in the Bible who actually play an extraordinary role in most of the stories that we hear. In fact, a lot of the time in the stories of the big name heroes, there are some unnamed heroes. And there are many times throughout scripture where God uses people that he doesn't give their name to do something quite powerful and extraordinary. And that is great news for you and for me because many times, I don't know if it's just me, maybe it is, but I'm assuming it's you too, uh, we often feel less than extraordinary. (laughs) Sometimes we feel insignificant. Sometimes we feel about this big. uh, And it kind of just gives me some encouragement that maybe, just maybe, God could use someone this big like me, someone insignificant, someone very ordinary to do something quite extraordinary for his kingdom. And today we're going to be looking at a very famous story that has someone who's not famous in it. (laughs) We're looking at a story that names a lot of people but doesn't name one of the most important people in it besides Jesus. We're looking at the story of the feeding of the 5,000 people and I'm gonna be focusing in on one person, the one person in the story who is not named and that is the boy with the loaves and the fish. Are you with me? Alright, right, you know what's really interesting about this story is that it is in fact mentioned in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, except only one of those Gospels actually mentions the boy as being part of the story at all. See, the first three times this story is told, it does not even give mention to the boy who gave his lunch and made it begin and kick-started the miracle in the first place. Talk about feeling insignificant. I mean, this poor kid gave his lunch, and he was forgotten about three out of four times that the story was told. I mean, right, like, you know, like, he'd be like, come on, man, not only did you not name me in the fourth one, but you didn't even mention me in one through three, all right? So here we are, we're looking at our story. We're going to start, and it's in John 6, verse one, and it says this, after this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, a huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He asked us to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have even a little. Now, I ask myself the question, why Philip? Because like, Philip's not really one of the ones, you know? Like, most of the time, and most of the stories that Jesus tells where he does a miracle by using his disciples, he talks about like John or Peter, like he's got his faiths and Philip was not one of them. But what's really interesting about Philip was that Philip was a local to the area that they they were in. That was where he grew up, was in this area right where they were. So Jesus was asking the local, where can we get food? Interesting, huh? And Jesus' reply to Philip's doubt was this. It says one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus' reply to them says this, he says, have the people sit down there's plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000, keeping in mind that there weren't just men there, there were women and children as well, so 5,000 was just the base number, that was just the foundation, there were definitely more than 5,000 people in 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 the grassy fields that day. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish, as many as they wanted. When they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them, filled the baskets, filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the, bar, from the five barley loaves, and they were left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who has come into the world. Now, when I read this story, and I looked into it, and I looked at a few different details that were in the story, there are four things that really encourage me, and I want to share them with you tonight. The first thing is this the first thing that I notice is that God's plans always include us. God's plan always includes us. He doesn't have to, but He does. You ever cooked with kids? Like, cooking with kids, sorry, Judah, is an absolute nightmare. Absolute, like it is chaos. It is messy. It is painfully slow, like painfully slow. It takes everything in me not to just take over and go, ah, oh, just get out of the way and let me do this myself. Because if I did it myself, it would be so much easier, it would be so much faster, it would be probably way less washing up to do at the end, and the outcome might be even just a little bit better if I was to do it myself. Now, we know from previous chapters that Jesus has the power to perform miracles. Like, He has already turned water into wine, and He's already healed a bunch of sick people, so we know... He has proven himself already as a fully fledged miracle working guy. Like we know, I have no doubt in my mind that Jesus could have, he had enough power, he had enough authority, he had enough miracle moves to feed these people, to create a meal out of absolutely nothing and without the help of any man. And it probably would have been easier. It probably would have been faster. It probably would have been less messy and there may have even been a whole lot less washing up to do at the end of it all. And yet, yet Jesus chose to use the offering of a small boy to get the job done. He included a young unnamed child to do a miracle. And one of the things that I love about the way that our God works is that although He has all power and authority to do a miracle without us, He chooses to include us in the miracles that He outworks. Because the miracle is often not simply just about the outcome, often the miracle is also about His power at work in and through us. In fact, part of the miracle is that he uses an ordinary insignificant person to do something powerful and extraordinary on this earth. And I wonder, I so often wonder how many miracle moments you and I are missing out on because we do not recognize the moment because we sit here feeling insignificant. We sit here feeling small and unimportant. See, what conversations are we passing up? What prayer opportunities are we overlooking? What God-ordained moments, miracle, that could be miracle moments, are we failing to step into because we do not understand that God's plan always includes us. See, His plan is partnership with people. That's how He works. That's how our God works. Our God outworks His plan through a partnership with people including you, my friend, including every single one of you. He wants to use you. He wants to use you. He wants to use you even when it's messy. He wants to use you even though it might take some time. He wants to use you in your dysfunction, in your complication. He wants to use you with the added mess and the added washing up. He wants to use you because his plans always include us. Isn't that Just comforting tonight to know that our God, who could do absolutely anything, would choose, choose to use us to outwork His miracles in our lives. The second thing I notice in this story is that all He needs is what we have. All He needs is what we have. Listen, not what we don't have. Not what we don't have. Think of it like this. Think of what it's like going on holiday. You have your bags packed, right? Like you pack your suitcase, you get everything sorted, you get everything in there, you get the house sorted. If you're anything like me, you leave the house spotless just in case burglars do show up. You don't want them to think that you live like a slob. So you get that house in order, you finally get out the door and you're in the car or you're on the plane, whatever mode of transportation you might have and, and you have one of those home alone moments where you suddenly go, <gasps> And it's that feeling of dread that you have inside of you as you realise something you have forgotten. You realise and you start to list off all the things I've forgotten, oh no, I've forgotten this, and I've forgotten this, and I've forgotten this. I hate realising that I don't have what I think I need. I'm like an overpacker, right? I am an over, I will, I will, over- I will pack more than I need just in case, because you never know, guys. You never know when you might need this and you never know when you might need that and you never know when you might need that when you're on your holiday, you just never know. I hate that feeling of not having what I think I need and it would seem to me that often we step into the call of God with that same feeling of dread about what we don't have, that same feeling of I don't think I have what I think I need. We spend way too much time thinking that God needs what we don't have in order to be used by Him. But it made me realize, do I really think that God does not have enough power and ability in Him to give me exactly what I need if He wants me to have it? See, when that little boy bought his fish and his barley loaves to Jesus, Jesus took what he had, not what he didn't have, and he used it. And I have to let you know tonight that those little barley loaves and those fish were a lot less than they sound. In fact, what he had to offer was actually very small. See, his loaves were not like luscious, big, that wasn't, he didn't have five French sticks from the bakery, like he had barley loaves. Barley in biblical days was used, poor people cooked with barley. In fact, if you weren't, anyone other than poor people would feed barley to their animals. That's what barley was used for. So what this little boy had to offer was actually very small and yet Jesus used it. He used what the boy had. He wouldn't wasn't worried about what he did. He didn't look at the fish and the loaves and say, yeah, well, it actually would have been a way better with roast beef in Yorkshire Pud. But if this is all you've got, okay, all right, I'll get, no, he didn't say, he didn't say, is that all? He didn't say, have you got anything else? He didn't say, did your mum pack any biscuit? You know, like, he didn't say that. He took what the boy had and he wasn't concerned with what he didn't have because all he needed was what, it, what he already had. All he needed was what he already had. In fact, I think Jesus would have and could have used just about anything to do the miracle. I think, you know, it could have been steak and chips. Could have been a ham sandwich. Could have been two minute noodles for all he cared. Because the power wasn't in the object, it was in the offering. And I think that's a good reminder for you and I tonight that the power is not in the object. The power is in the offering. And it does not matter what you lack. It's what you already have that he wants. He doesn't want what you don't have. He wants what you've got already inside of you. And so often we're too afraid to step out and do something for God because we're so worried about the lack. But God can already do a miracle with what you actually and currently have. What you already have is enough to get God started because the power is not in the object. It wasn't about the loaves and the fish. It was about the offering. It was about the offering. What he needs is what we have. All he needs is what we have. Number three, here's the other thing I noticed. I noticed that sometimes giving feels like losing at first. Sometimes giving feels like losing at first. Here's the thing, it would have been pretty clear to that little boy that the moment that he handed over his lunch, that he would not be seeing it again. When he handed over his lunch, it would have come with the realization, I am not getting this back, or so it would seem. See, he would have known that those five little barley loaves and those two wee fish would not have been enough to feed 5000 plus people it was a drop in the bucket compared to what was needed i mean i mean who knows i mean he could have thought that it was a potluck situation and that everyone else was going to be contributing i'm not sure what he thought i don't know what under under what impression he gave his lunch but i i, I just have this feeling that he would have put two and two together and realized that when he gave, it would have felt like he was losing, at least to start with anyway, because sometimes giving feels like losing at first. And before I go any further, I just want to say that while the next example I'm going to use is an example of financial giving, I'm not just talking about financial giving tonight, I'm talking about any kind of offering we give to God, whether it is finance, whether it is our time, whether it is our, um, our giftings, our talents, whether it's stepping out to do something for God. Anything we offer to God with an open hand is what I'm talking about tonight. See, I've told you this story before when Steve and I um, moved back to Auckland with our two boys. We moved from Whangarei to Auckland and we had a small amount of savings that we hoped would be the kickstarter for the deposit on a, a house in Auckland, to buy a house in Auckland. But over the course of about a year, Uh, Whenever there was an opportunity to give, whether it was like a special offering here at church to give to a missions project or give to um, one of our vision offerings or whatever it was, or whether it was like a give a little page that we'd seen on Facebook or even just going out for dinner with friends, whenever there was an opportunity to give, we always felt, we both felt, even on separate occasions, felt the Lord saying to us, I want you to give more. Like I want you to give more than you normally would. I want you to give more. I want you to, to, you know, don't just pay for you, pay for them too. All of these different situations. And slowly but surely, that little, that little savings account that we had just began to dwindle away and dwindle away and dwindle away until we were left with practically nothing. And the truth is that when, it, when at that point in our journey, every time we gave, we felt like we were losing, But it was in that season that we had to learn what it meant to trust God in our giving. See, stepping out to do anything for God requires trust that He will meet us in the middle. And trusting means that even when it feels like we're losing, trusting knows that God is still working. See, in the moment that this little lad handed over his lunch... He didn't realize that if he just waited another 10, 15, 20 minutes, that he would not only have his fill, that his tummy would be full, and that 5,000 plus other people's tummies would be full, but that there would also be baskets full left over. See, the hardest place to be is in the in-between. The hardest place to be is when you've handed over your loaves and your fish, but you are yet to see baskets full. Am I right? It's the hardest place to be, and that's where our faith is tested. When a giving feels like losing, we've got to trust God in the in-between. See, through a whole bunch of different circumstances that happened, we were able to, after after a few years of trying to buy a home while giving away all our money, After a couple of years of doing that, we were able to, through some real amazing God circumstances, put down a deposit on a brand new home without any money leaving our own personal bank account. See, it felt like we gave God some loaves and some fish, and he gave us full baskets. I'm going to ask the keys to come and join me now as we talk about the fourth thing that I discovered when I looked further into this story, see with God, there's always more than you bargained for. With God, there's always more than you bargained for. In fact, when I look at this story, I realize, man, it was like it was like double for his money. It was like double for his he got this little boy got double for his loaves and his fish. And I'll tell you why often there is more than we bargain for with God. See, here's the best part of the story. The boy's loaves and fish not only fed the people, but the second thing it did was it revealed to people who Jesus was. See, this wasn't just a miracle of provision. This was also a miracle of revelation. Because if we go on and we read on in chapter six, we read that the day after this miracle moment, the crowds were again looking for Jesus. And after finding him, they asked how he got there, and this was his reply. He said in John 6, verse 26, it says, Truly I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. He's referring to the miracle the previous day. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. He goes further to reveal himself even more in verse 35 when he says, I am the bread of life. Jesus told them, no one comes, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. See, Jesus uses the loaves and the fish offered by this little boy, not just to feed them in the moment, but to teach them what it meant to be eternally fulfilled. He got double for his money. That miracle was more than he bargained for. It wasn't just about a miracle in the moment. It was about revealing who Jesus was. See, the miracle is more than provision. It's revelation. And every time we see God moving in our lives, every time we see a miracle playing out, it's about more than just the moment. It's about a revelation of who he is. It's about a moment that can glorify him and show others who he is really is. And I wonder how often we fail to realize that actually our partnership in the miracle is less about the present circumstance and more about the internal revelation that God wants to do in each one of us. And I want to tell you a story as I come to a close tonight. I want to tell you a story about a lady in our church who I don't think any of you will know. Her name is Ruth. She is not known to you by name. She—if I say that—you probably can't put a face to that name. Um, she's not wanting any recognition. She has not wanted any accolade. She's not asked for an applause. She has not asked for any kind of acknowledgement. And yet, she has been someone in our church who, for the last four decades, has not just seen God move momentarily, but has worked with him in partnership with him to reveal Christ to everyone she encounters. Ruth Harwood came to salvation, she's now 88, she came to salvation at the age of 36 and after a season of teaching God's word to children, she felt God speaking to her about a verse in Matthew, Matthew 25 verse 31 where it says, I was in prison and you came to visit me that started her on a journey to discover God's calling for her life, which led to her decision to join a prison ministry, serving once a month. And from 1981, she has been visiting prisoners in Auckland prisons ever since. She's given her life to that ministry. Sometimes prisoners would come and live with her once they come out of incarceration. Once she had a pris- ex-prisoner living with her and her husband for four years. And many times they would accommodate prisoners over weekend release and sometimes she would have up to two to three prisoners living with her at any one weekend. Ruth was part of a team that would arrange Christmas feasts for the inmates. They would have family days for inmates and many times Ruth would be asked to represent their family, that's how much she meant to them. During sentencing, Ruth and her team would come and they would attend sentencing. When everyone else would turn their backs, she would come and she would stand with them and she would support them as they went through their court proceedings. Over the years, her mission was not to be known by name. Her mission was to see souls saved while spreading the gospel in an organic way, using what she had, not what she didn't have, what she had. And she joined, 19 years ago, she joined Pastor Marilyn's team, our founding pastor, who would go into prisons and they would do crafts with the woman there. And Ruth was a dressmaker by trade, and she used her trade, she used what she already had to teach these women how to sew and make toys for their children. For longer than I have been alive, that just made me go, wow. Wow. For longer than I have been alive, Ruth has been part of God's plan to see prisoners come to know him. Part of God's plan to use what she had, sometimes giving all she had, not just to meet immediate needs, but to reveal to inmates who Christ was. I think that's pretty incredible. And I'm sure that there were days where Ruth felt very ordinary. I'm sure there were days when she felt scared going into prisons. I'm sure there were days when she felt super insignificant, but what a powerful impact she has had on many lives these past four decades. In fact, just today, as I told this story in our morning services, my mum, who's a physiotherapist, she said to me that she treated Ruth once doing physio. Ruth was, um, needed a cane to walk, and um, mum treated her to try and um, get her to be walking without a cane and Ruth told mum that the only reason she was willing to go through physio, because if you've been through much physio you know that's actually quite painful if you're trying to recover from some kind of surgery, the only reason she was willing to let Mum take her through her physio exercises was because she needed to get back into the prisons because they wouldn't let her in with a cane. You weren't allowed to take that into the prison. She knew she needed to get rid of the cane and, and begin walking on her own again because she needed to get back into the prison to continue her work with the inmates. See, Ruth, like the little boy with the loaves and the fish, understands that life is about more than recognition. The truth is to every person who calls himself a believer, a follower of Jesus, you know that we live our lives for something so much bigger than the recognition. We live our lives for something bigger than the award, bigger than the applause. We live our lives for something bigger than the academies or the Grammys or the Oscars. We live our lives for something bigger than the accolades and the distinctions. We live our lives for something bigger than the promotion or the pay rise at work. We live for a purpose that's far bigger than us. We live to glorify, serve, and honor the name of Jesus. And the thing is, is that when your ultimate goal in life is to glorify God, you become okay with not getting the recognition. You become okay with the fact that sometimes your name is forgotten in the story three times out of four. Or maybe you have not even been named at all, but that's okay. When your goal in life is simply to glorify God, you become okay with not getting the applause of man. See, when we told Ruth that we wanted to tell her story today in church, do you know what she said? She said, but I only did it for the Lord. She was like, don't do it. Don't tell my story. I only did it for the Lord. Because the goal is not to be named. Instead, The goal is that others, through his power at work in us, would not know our name, but his. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's pray together. Thank you, Lord. God, we thank you. We thank you that you have called us small, insignificant, unimportant, unnamed, ordinary, but you've included us, you want to use us as part of your plans. I thank you that even though we are frail, even though we are weak, even though we don't know much, even though we make mistakes, thank you that you choose us, you choose to use us to outwork your miracles all around us. God, we thank you that we're part of your plan, And I just lift up every person in here who feels like they lack purpose. I lift up every person in this room who does not feel they are on this planet for a reason. And I pray right now, Lord, that they would know and understand and get a revelation that they are here for a purpose. They are on this earth for a reason. And that reason is to be part of your plan. And God, I thank you. I thank you so much that for each and every one of us, you have given us everything we need to be used by you. And all the things we don't have, you give us. You make up for our lack. Lord, I pray for every person who feels insignificant in this room. I pray for every person that feels unimportant. I pray for every person who just feels like they are so small in comparison to everyone else. Lord, I thank you that even them you have called and that you've given them everything they need. And Lord, when we step out, God, and we're standing in the in-between, I thank you that you come and you meet us. You meet us where we're at. When we give you loaves and fish, you give us full baskets. And God, I pray that right now, every single person would be filled with your Holy Spirit, that you would fill them with a boldness and a courage to step out and do something that would make your name famous. I wanna continue to pray in just a moment but I wanna pray for a specific group of people and if everyone could just keep their heads bowed and their eyes closed just to help so that we don't distract anybody from this moment. The people that I'd love to be able to speak to and pray for right now is those who you're sitting there and you, maybe church is not your regular Sunday night activity. Perhaps you've come here and maybe you're new, maybe you've never been here before or perhaps you've been coming along for a little while now but if you were honest, you would say Bex, I'm not really into this God stuff, I've not really, I don't really know God, but you know right now that something's happening inside you, you know right now that God is speaking to you and you know you need to get your life right with him. I'm going to pray a prayer in just a moment and I'm going to invite every single one of you to join me as I pray that prayer. See here's the thing, I meant it when I said God created you with a plan and a purpose He's put something in your life. He's given you a purpose and you will never be fulfilled until you discover what that purpose is and begin using it to make a difference. And God's ultimate goal is that we would walk out that plan and purpose alongside him in relationship with him. The problem is, is that we all mess up. We try and go our own way. We've decided we want to determine good and evil for ourselves. We make mistakes. The Bible calls it sin. And that sin, it's separated us from God. It's like place this giant gap that we can't bridge that separates us from God. But in his mercy and grace, he sent his son Jesus to come and live a sinless life on earth. Die a sinner's death to pay the debt that you and I would due for our sin, death so that we could be resurrected with Christ just like those who are baptized and live a brand new life with him, not just today, but also in eternity. That's his greatest desire for each of us. And I'm gonna lead you in a prayer that will help you step into that, help you make that decision today. And listen, you might have prayed this prayer before, that's okay. If right now you're saying, Bex, I'm far from God, I wanna invite you to pray this prayer. I'm gonna pray it out loud. You just pray it in your heart, but make it your own prayer. You ready? Ready? We say, dear Jesus, thank you that you went to the cross for me. Thank you that you paid the debt that I was due. I ask for your forgiveness today. Would you come into my life and make me brand new? I want to turn from my old way of life and turn to you. I choose this day to live my life for you. Thank you for the plans and the purposes that you have given me. In Jesus' name, with every head still bowed and every eye closed, I'd love to be able to see who I prayed for, and I, I won't—I don't want to embarrass you or anything like that. I, all I'm going to do is I'm going to count to three, and, and then on the count of three, if you could just pop up your hand, you stick it up, I'll acknowledge it. You can put it straight back down. I would just—it would be my greatest joy to know that you prayed that prayer tonight. It could be the first time, might be the first time in a long time. I'm not sure what God is doing in your life right now, but I know without a doubt that there are people in this room and you are saying, yeah, I need Jesus in my life. And if that's you, on the count of three, just lift your hand nice and high so I can see it. One, two, three. You're saying, Bex, count me in. You can lift your hand right now. Awesome. Yeah, I see you. Yes, thank you. I see you. Anybody else? You're saying, Bex, yes, thank you. Awesome, awesome. Anybody else? You're saying, Bex, count me in. Pray that prayer. Maybe it wasn't the first time. You're coming back to God tonight. You're saying, yeah, I'm ready to give my life to him. Thank you, Lord. Awesome. God, I thank you so much for every person who prayed that prayer. And Lord, I thank you that you can transform their lives. And this is the first day of that new journey with you. God, I pray your protection over them. God, I pray that you would grow them into the plans and the purposes that you have for them. I thank you that you will stir their faith and, and Lord, for the journey that they are about to go on, that they have started this day, the first day of the rest of their life. And we wanna celebrate right now as a great big party kicks off in heaven. Come on church, would you celebrate with me? Come on, let's thank God. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Centre podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancentre.org.nz.